This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing one-on-one comprehensive physical and occupational therapy services, including women's health, chronic pain treatment, TMJ, and more. With four locations in Fox Point, Grafton, Brookfield, and McGuanago, Wisconsin. More information at freedompt.com. I'm Brady from the Freedom Podcast Network. I'm interviewing Adrienne Lukopoulos. She's an occupational therapist at Freedom Physical Therapy Services. And we're here to get her thoughts today on her practice and uh, where she thinks occupational therapy is going and um, kind of her story, how she got here. Uh, so, Adrienne, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. <laughs> so... I want to start with kind of how you got to freedom. Um, how did you get to know Mike, and how did you end up as an occupational therapist here? Uh, so I went to St. Norbert up in De Pere, Wisconsin, and there was a previous classmate that was working at Freedom at the time, and she sent out that she was going back to school, and they were looking to hire a new physical therapy aide. So I applied, thinking I wasn't going to get it, but I did, and. Actually, Mike, when I was waiting for my interview, came out and introduced himself because we both have long Greek last names. And so he was excited to have another Greek coming on board. And that's kind of been the joke between us ever since. Um, So I got the job started here four years ago now as a physical therapy aide and just fell in love with occupational therapy. Um, So I decided to apply for my master's and go back to school I went to Mount Mary University, um, started there, and Freedom was so great about letting me go back to school and keeping me on and just letting me do kind of various jobs, helping out with aiding, helping out in billing, helping out up at the front desk, whatever they really needed when I have had any availability. So when I graduated then, they brought me on as an occupational therapist. So that's how I got to Freedom. So the the one thing I want to talk about when it comes to um, your training as an occupational therapist and going to school, um, I do know that in PT school, it starts out very generalized, but then their training becomes more specific as to what space they want to work in. Um, So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on um, how different can the training be from one occupational therapist to the next, and how does that lend itself to being in the orthopedic field or working in a different setting? So the classes start out pretty general. Everyone has to take the same classes for the first pretty much year and a half. Um, Then they do have specialized classes that you can, they're elective and essentially more challenging advanced classes. So at Mount Mary, we had advanced pediatrics, we had worker rehabilitation, and then we had um, an advanced hands and upper extremity orthopedic class. So I did take all three electives. Um, I'm just an overachiever, I guess, I don't know. So I did take all three. I wasn't super interested in the pediatric field, but I thought take it just in case you have the class. But I was really more interested in the elective for worker rehabilitation and the advanced hand and upper extremity class. Um, Now, with field work placements, you can choose 
kind of the area you're interested in, not that you're guaranteed to go into that area. However, what I did was I did a competitive placement. So it's you apply for it and you have to get accepted to go into that placement. So I applied for a competitive hand outpatient orthopedic placement and I got accepted. So it's just a more challenging placement. There's a lot more expectations of you, a heavier caseload, and just overall more complicated patients and cases that you're seeing. The placement that I was at had the hand surgeons right across the hall from us. So you develop that relationship that you would not have elsewhere at just a normal placement that most of the students just get, that you're guaranteed, um, but you can go above and beyond and apply for these competitive placements to get that extra advanced training. Um, also, when I was at that placement, I worked under certified hand therapists. There was about seven of them that I worked with, and most of them had been there for 20 to 30 years. So all the training and knowledge that they shared with me was awesome, and I'm so thankful for that. So it sounds like you wanted to go into a setting like Freedom in an orthopedic setting when you went into school. Did you know that going in? And I know you had worked at Freedom before you went to school. So did that play an influence into kind of what field you wanted to go into in the occupational therapy setting? Yeah, when I started kind of my journey on OT, I originally wanted to go into pediatrics, thinking that's what I wanted to do until I came to Freedom. And I worked with Marion and Anne and um, Rebecca, who's no longer here, but um, they really turned me on to the orthopedic side. And they always told me, by the time you get to school, you're going to want to go for orthopedics and not pediatrics. And sure enough, they changed me over, brought me over to the dark side, and now I'm in orthopedics, and I absolutely love it. So once I started school, I geared my studies and my interests more towards orthopedics, and that was more of my focus. So when I went to do my fieldwork placements, I really asked for orthopedic settings so I could get more experience. And was there a reason? Did something turn you off of pediatrics? Nothing turned me off of pediatrics. I just saw what a difference freedom was making with these patients. And I really liked post-surgical patients and really complicated patients. And I just thought it was fascinating. And the wound care and the scar tissue and how it all comes together and the anatomy behind it is so complicated. People don't realize that. And it you really have to know your anatomy when you're treating these patients. And the hand is so intricate. People just don't understand how intricate the hand works together and the muscles. And so just educating patient is a, patients is a huge part of my job. And I just love that part, teaching them and getting them to understand how their body works and comes together. There's a, there's a certification for hand therapy, correct? Yeah. it's um, You have to have so many hours. And I, I don't remember how many hours it is, but it takes about, working full-time, it takes about two to three years for you to get the number of hours you need, and then you have to pass a certification exam. There's no class that you take, it's all studying on your own, so, you know, you're responsible for your own studying, but I think the pass rate is even like 40% pass rate for this exam, so it's a really hard exam, um, but definitely something in the future I will be pursuing. Well, that's good. Um, so t this, this month is 
OT month. Yep. And we're placing an importance here at the clinic, obviously, on it. Um, is there an importance to you specifically or something that you would want uh, a patient or just the general population to take away from it being OT month and the importance of it? Yeah, I don't think OT is very well known. I mean, so many of my patients even now come in and say, oh, I'm ready for physical therapy and just getting them to be aware that while I'm similar to physical therapy, I'm also different. And there is a difference between OT and PT and just getting, you know, the word out there and what it is and the awareness. And even with doctors and surgeons, uh, you know, a lot of them send us scripts and it says PT, even though they really need OT instead. And so just getting them to be on board with this profession coming out here and just yeah, getting the word out. So OT is generally, I think, thought of as like more work, workers comp related things. And yeah, um, you have difficulties with your job. And yeah. so go over, I know you get this question from pretty much everybody, but what is the difference between an OT and a PT? So in my setting, in this outpatient orthopedic setting, the difference is, so the physical therapists treat the whole body. So head to toe, shoulders, neck, back, knees, legs, feet, you name it. OT specializes in the upper extremity. So we just have, you know, more specific training to it, especially the hands. Um, a lot of the physical therapists don't necessarily like to touch the hands because like I said before, they're so intricate and so complicated. And if you don't understand how they work, it can be very challenging to treat them. So as OTs, we have that advanced training and knowledge. Um, as OTs, we also make splints. Um, a lot of the PTs will not touch splints or not educated how to make splints. So we have that training as well. And I had the advanced training when I was at my placement on splint making. So just some differences. I know that our PTs will if they have to treat hand and wrist, but a lot of them prefer not to, and a lot of those patients are obviously on your schedule. Is there a reason why the wrist and hand seem to be such problem areas? Um, I think we use our wrists and our hands all the time. We use them for everything. And so patients get really frustrated when their hands or wrists or elbows are not working, and they're hard cases because the patient is frustrated. They're not doing their normal activities. So that adds a whole nother layer to it. Um, you have to really take that into consideration and help them figure out ways to adapt or modify the tasks that they need to get done. Um, there's so many tiny ligaments in the wrist and in the hand holding all your tendons and muscles together and to understand how they all work work to you know let you have the motion to let you grip to understand how the nerves come in and play a part in that and you know people get numbness and tingling and that's so frustrating for them um, people get weakness in their hands and you know people think oh I just don't have enough strength but there can be so many other things going on if your nerves are not working right your muscles are not working right so it's just it's really really a complicated system that if you're not used to treating it or you don't have a, you know, a placement in it or a special training in it, it's really hard to come in and just know where to treat them and where to go when you have a patient like that. What are the, the beginning signs of like, oh, maybe I should see an occupational therapist or, or even a PT or, or someone um, that 
I, I don't have full function of my hands, but maybe it's not painful. And so people kind of let it go to the wayside. Like, are there any warning signs that you're like, I need to get in, I need to see somebody and get it checked out? Yeah, I think, and a lot of my patients that I have, um, it starts as like, oh, I, you know, I do a certain emotion, it's kind of uncomfortable, or it's difficult, or I notice I have difficulty putting the dishes away in the upper cabinet, but they don't think anything of it, and then it progresses, and then the pain starts coming on, and now they've waited so long that it just takes longer to recover, and you know, you haven't helped yourself by waiting. It's, it's better to come in, even if you're noticing slight decline or any changes in normal function, to come in sooner rather than later before it develops into something more. Um, some people start getting just, you know, tingling in one finger and they just don't think anything of it. But it can be a bigger issue that appears down the road and causes more problems. So oftentimes I, I know that uh, a lot of the therapists talk about um, sometimes the problem isn't always isolated to where you're having the problems. So how does, how if you're having weakness or tightness in a certain area, how do you know if it's in that spot or if it's from another body part? Um, good question. So you have to remember that the nerves, and this may be getting too technical, but the nerves start all the way up in your neck and they go all the way down your arm, through your armpit, through your elbow, to your hands. So they can get compressed, they can get irritated at so many different parts of your body. And even though you may be having weakness in your hand, it could be coming from compression in your neck, it could be coming from compression in your shoulder or your elbow. And so we have a lot of different tests that we do that help us determine where it's coming from. Um, I mean, that would be getting super specific if I went through each one. Um, and we, we work with the doctors. So a lot of the doctors will order you know, certain tests. They order nerve tests, which, which give us a better idea of really what is going on. And the specific muscles that you are having weakness in, you know, we know which nerves innervate them. We know which nerves go to them and cause them to contract. If you can't contract them, yeah, maybe you are weak. But it And we also know the referral patterns for the muscles. So you may be having pain going down your arm and while the pain feels like it's in your arm, it's really coming from a muscle in your back. So just you know, our knowledge of those referral patterns and where the different muscles send the pain when it is tight or irritated also is helpful for patients. So um, for example, some people have pain down their arm or into their wrist or they feel like a bracelet pain. Well, that can be coming from this muscle um, this one of your rotator cuff muscles and for spinatus in your back, that refers its pain down your arm. And while people will say, well, my pain is really in my arm, well, let's try working on this back muscle. And they're amazed that, oh my gosh, you're reproducing my symptoms by working on that back muscle. So just knowing how those muscles work together, how it refers its pain, how the nerves work and what they control is really helpful for us to determine where your issue or injury is originating from. So a big topic is chronic pain, and we do see some chronic pain patients, whether that's arthritis, whether that's, you know, chronic nerve pain. Um, people have issues for long periods of time, and they <laughs> try to get over it, uh, and they have a hard time doing so. Um, I, d I don't want to ask any 
technical questions, but I just want to know, like, we've seen patients get better coming to us because of, you know, specialized treatment and knowledgeable therapists, but I think there's a little bit to be said for the mentality that some patients have versus others. And we seem that we see that more positive, upbeat uh, personalities sometimes do a little bit better in therapy than the opposite. Um, do you see that in your patients? Yeah, and I think as a therapist, that's a big part of it too. If I know I have certain patients that are more down or negative about things, I, as a therapist, try to go in and be super positive, even with you know my simple patients that are post-op. You know, they still can't lift their arm over their head, but, oh, my gosh, they are so much better than the first day. And reminding them of where they started and where they are now, what they have achieved is really helpful for them and for us as therapists, too, just to be reminded of where they started also and how far they've come. Now, with chronic pain, it's a little bit, there's an extra layer to it because, really, you can't downplay the fact that they are in pain. Um, And I think sometimes that happens or they're not their statements are not validated. So validating them, but also showing them how much progress they've made and where they have come, you know, how far they've come and, you know, what your plan is too. I think that's a big thing is not just leaving them in the dark and saying, well, okay, what are we doing next? Yeah, I'm here, but now kind of where are we going from here? So letting them know your plan as well is also really helpful for them. Are there any other aspects of your uh, kind of where you want to go with your practice and, and what you really like to treat that you want to talk about. I know that you're really into splinting. I know that was a big part of your training and we've seen you do a few splints here and patients have been pretty happy about what you've done. Is, is there anything that you'd like to talk about in that regard? Yeah, I love splinting. Um, I have seen some patients come in with not so great splints and just even just the smallest adjustments to their splints to help them sleep better or have it be more comfortable is so amazing for them. And I don't think, I think at some of the bigger companies, they're so rushed. You know, in my field replacement, I would have a splint that I get an hour and a half here to make, I would have 20 minutes there. And I just don't have, I would not have the time to spend with the patient, A, to get to know them, B, to know why, you know, really what, are they going to be using the splint for? Um, when are they? What is the wearing schedule for it? Are they in it all day? Okay, well, then we need to make sure it's padded, make sure it's comfortable, it's not rubbing anywhere for them so that they do comply with it and wear it. I think that was a big thing um, where I was is that if they were not comfortable, patients are not going to wear it. And they're either, you know, if they have a tendon repair, they have to be in that splint or they're going to rupture their repair But if it's not comfortable and it's rubbing on them, they're going to take it off. And then the chance of rupturing is higher. Um, So I I really like splinting. Um, I also really like post-op patients. I think scar tissue is really downplayed with patients and how impactful it can be on motion, especially in the fingers and the wrist where it is such small areas. A scar if it starts adhering, is going to impact your range of motion. You could have your, what, you know, your injury could be healing great, but if that scar tissue builds up, you're still not going to get back the range of motion or the strength that you had before. So I'm really passionate about that. 
which sounds crazy, but that's okay. It's something that I like. And my patients are probably sick of me telling them, do your scar massage, do your scar massage, but it really helps. And I've seen some really great scars um, in the end from that. Um, I also really like wound care and, you know, um, have wanted to bring that more into the practice. I don't think right now, at Freedom at least, it's a huge part of it, but I have slowly started to have more hand patients with pins, and um, it's important to keep them clean. And, and, you know, a lot of the patients that have these pins are also work comp patients, so they have really physical jobs, and it's hard to keep them clean, and they get dirty, and so educating them and finding ways to work with them to keep these wound sites clean and that it goes along with the splinting. Do we, need to, do we need to make the patient a splint that they can wear that will protect these pin sites too and keep them clean while they're working and doing their job? So I guess the average person, you see a splint on somebody, they might not know exactly why they're wearing the splint or why it's not obvious why. Um, what are all the different uses for, for splints? Like what, what are the different conditions that you would recommend a, someone get a splint for? Yeah, so the biggest one is carpal tunnel. I mean, your doctor is going to recommend a splint pretty much right off the bat before surgery. Um, with carpal tunnel, you get numbness and tingling at night, and that's from, you know, curling your hands in. And not that you do it on purpose, you just, you're asleep and you don't realize it. And so if you can get a splint or a brace and put you in that neutral position, you let that nerve kind of calm down, let that tunnel calm down and give that numbness and tingling a break. Um, so that's a really big one. Um, sometimes like distal radius fractures or wrist fractures, they'll be put in a brace or a splint for a while to protect that. Tendon repairs will almost always be in a splint for a certain amount of time. That's just to essentially prohibit you from moving and let the tendon actually repair itself. Um, you have, depending on what it is, you just have to stay at certain degrees and angles and putting the patient in a splint is just a really safe option to ensure that they are protecting that repair. Now, like with the pins, it's more of um, a protective thing. Um, some people have pins that are sticking out of their skin. And, you know, if they bump them or hit them, that's super painful for them. So putting like, like a little cap over them almost just helps them be protected a little bit more and make them more comfortable with it as well. You know, people don't necessarily like to see these pins sticking out of their hands. So it helps them a little, feel a little bit more at ease. Um, we do do like a trigger finger splint I'm educated on. So if somebody's really not wanting to do the injection or the surgery, there is a splint that we can make for them that can help decrease the swelling for the trigger finger and hopefully help decrease the triggering of that. Um, like a mallet finger is another one that we do, which is just a little cap on the tip of the finger. A lot of these are really easy splints and, you know, simple to make. They're not super complicated. There can be really complicated splints that take longer to make, but a lot of these are not. And they're so impactful on, you know, patients' lives because they're so helpful. So there are a lot of different options that, like, you go into the back of Walgreens and you, you see all of the wrist supports and knee braces and things like that. Um, can you explain maybe how how what you do is, is different from something that you could just buy over the counter? Yep, so what you buy over the counter is just, it's prefabricated, it's made to fit everyone, it's not customized to you, but what I make are ones specifically made for these patients, so they fit them essentially perfectly. They're, they're unique to each individual and the individual's needs. So some of the 
braces that you see at Walgreens, maybe they're too short or they're too long, but as a patient, you don't know that you don't have the training or the skills in it. So it's helpful to come in to have someone that will say, well, you really need this length, or you really need you know, your thumb included, or you don't need your thumb included, or you know, make sure you're not wearing this all the time, or yes, you do need to wear it all the time. And just, you know, when you go to Walgreens, you don't necessarily know. And they do have instructions, but also just being educated on, you know, how to wear it, how to put, take it on, how to take it off, when to wear it, when not to wear it is also really important to know. Um, so one other topic I really am interested in is you did work at the hand clinic uh, during your training. Um, and I remember you telling me some pretty gruesome hand stories. Um, how was it dealing with some of those? Like that's got to be pretty jarring. Um, some pretty gruesome acts, gruesome accidents uh, that you were telling us about. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was really shocking at first because I had no exposure to that prior to it. Uh, like my first day, I actually had to like step away from the patient because I. It was just totally new to me, and I know I needed to get out of there for a second. So I did step away, and I was fine after I came back. And it was just, you know, collecting, like, you ha you've got this, and you can't be weak for your patients. And that was a really big thing for me by the end is it didn't matter how gruesome it was. I knew my patients needed me, and you, you just have to be there. Um, but also remembering, like, one patient, it was the first time he was seeing, when he came to me, it was the first time he was seeing his fingers amputated after surgery. And so how traumatic for him to see his fingers for the first time, but also for me because now he's seeing his fingers for the first time and it's just a lot more than just treating the fingers. It's now treating like, you know, he's freaking out about seeing this. How can we calm him down and make him comfortable with, you know, this new lifestyle that he has while also treating his injury at the same time? So working on both aspects of it. And when I was there, you know, if patients needed um, different support, you know, referring them out to get that support that they needed, referring them to social workers to get them, you know, into, you know, if they needed help at home, you know, now they have this injury where they have no motion in their hand at all because they cut their nerve in a car accident. Well, now they can't even get dressed or they can't do dishes. They can't take a shower. So how do we find someone or services to come in and help them with their everyday lives? So it was a big thing um, in terms of treating the injury, but also treating the patient also and kind of knowing what they need, especially with those super traumatic job injuries, car accidents, um, you know, just kind of fluke things that happen. There was a lot of gunshot wounds there, so which is just a whole other layer as well. So if one of those patients comes in, can you take me through the, the treatment cycle that they go through um, from like the time that they have their surgery or they have their injury, um, that's going to really be a life-altering event. Um, how do you approach that treatment and, and what does treatment kind of look like for those people? Yeah, so normally if it's a traumatic event, like a gunshot or um, like a work accident or a car accident, normally they are rushed to the ER. So they'll start in the ER. Um, they'll be referred to a hand specialist. Typically, they're always referred to a hand specialist if it's there, um, and they will determine what surgery. So typically, I see them 
depending on the surgery, sometimes a day or two after surgery. So it's really new and really fresh. And the event that just happened is really new and really fresh. So they haven't even had time to process that yet. So that just adds a whole nother layer to it. And to start, you always start slow because a, they're just they're adjusting to this new life, so there's a whole a whole bunch of other things they have to learn, and but B, you also have to remember that they do have this injury that needs to be treated, so you would start slow, kind of educating them on their injury, what the recovery process is like, which can also be shocking to people. Um, you know, one lady thought that her nerve would be back in a week. Well, nerves can take a really really long time to return and just the, her shock of how long it really can take. And as a therapist, you know, normally you're the one to tell them. I hate to say it, but sometimes the doctors are not necessary. They don't disclose all the information or they don't explain it well enough either. And so as a therapist, you have to take the time to explain it. And, and I have been, have patients that are so appreciative of me taking the time to explain their injury, to explain the healing process and the recovery time to them because they just weren't educated on it. So you typically with those um, really traumatic injuries, they're coming in two to three times a week to get them going and to get them moving and stiff. A lot of them are afraid to move their injury. They don't want to injure it more. And so having them in a safe area where they feel comfortable moving it will help prevent them from getting stiff and just promote their healing. It's also good to continue to educate them like, okay, you're at this point, now you can start doing this instead of them going home and trying to do something and it's not safe for them to do when they end up rupturing their tendon or you know pulling a suture out that that way. Um, once, once they start healing, you can really progress them pretty well and a lot of them make really great gains. Um, the trouble that we have is when they start to plateau and they get frustrated and that you have to work with them to get over and to get through and it can, it can take a while to get past that stage. And if they, you know, come to a point where that's as much progress as they're going to make, because with some of these injuries, they're just so awful that you will not get 100% return. And so helping them cope with and deal with and modify now their new normal to them. And what do they need to do that? Do they need new, you know, can they hold a steering wheel or do they need some adaptive equipment? Can we help them, you know, can we recommend that? Can they you know, move things from really high counters down lower so they can reach them better? Just how can we help them modify? So that can be a, a long recovery process, obviously. And, um, but it's gotta be very rewarding um, seeing a patient go from having an extremely serious injury to recovering um, and overcoming that kind of setback that they have in life. Yeah, yeah, it can be extremely rewarding and and just, you know, they're so thankful to us. That's one of my favorite parts of my job. So for, from here, how do you want to see occupational therapy grow in healthcare? Um, obviously, you said that you wanted to see the word get out about what does an occupational therapy do, but how, how do you see it progressing um, in the next years to come? Yeah, so right now... Um, AOTA, which is kind of like our huge board, and NBCOT is really starting to push OT and get OT into areas that they haven't been before. 
Um, and I think that's great. I don't think people realize that as an OT, I can work in orthopedics, I can work in pediatrics, I can work in a nursing home, I can work in be a driver rehabilitation specialist, I can work with work comp, um, I can work in a school. There's so many areas that you can work in, and I don't think people understand that or realize that OT is so vast. And as occupational therapists, we can pretty much work anywhere and have a job. It's pretty amazing that you have we have a field that's like that and in so many areas. Um, so just continuing to grow and to keep, you know, getting ourselves in new, you know, parts. Also, I think you know orthopedics is such a small part of OT. So getting the orthopedic aspect to grow, I think at one point it was like maybe like a fourth of OTs were in like an orthopedic type of setting, whether it be outpatient or inpatient or pediatrics. So just getting that to grow too, it's really, orthopedics is really dominated by physical therapy right now. Um, but I think OT is just as important. And, you know, coming with the hand specialty, um, it would just be really great to get more orthopedic OTs out there and treating these patients that really, really need us. We've definitely seen the impact that you have had on freedom and the patients that come through, uh, and we've also had some other skilled occupational therapists that have also made an impact, and we see how that's kind of changing the, the therapy world, and we want to make sure that the word gets out about it. So thanks for coming on today and sharing your story. podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing exceptional one-to-one hands-on care to the greater Milwaukee area for over 25 years. Our physical and occupational therapists prepare custom plans for your condition to relieve pain and improve performance. Allow us to help you enjoy more freedom at freedompt.com.